You're listening to Real Folk with me, Joe Burke. Hello and welcome to Real Folk. And with me today is the wonderful Andy Elias. Andy and I go back fair way. We met at Goldsmith. He's a filmmaker. He's an actor. And uh, he's won his films, his short films have won some awards. So we'll talk about those. And he's also a teacher. So welcome on board, Andy. Thank you for having me. So Andy, uh, let's start at the beginning, regale us with uh, how you ended up, how we both ended up in the same place. Goldsmiths, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I kind of ended up in South East London because uh, a girlfriend at the time was living there. And uh, I basically moved in with her and found myself in New Cross. I was kind of uh, on the fringes of the film industry and I thought I need to up my game a little bit. What can I do? Perhaps I'll do an acting class. And I saw the one advertised at Goldsmiths and I thought, oh, that looks good. And went along and it was good. Really enjoyed it. It was. It was amazing, wasn't it? Did you do one or two years? I can't remember. I did two years. Yeah, because I was still working and I assume assume you were. Yeah, I was driving a van at the time. I was doing my my deliveries. So that's right, your fish delivery. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So it it fitted in nicely with um, my kind of my work. I'd work, get up early and drive the van and then I'd be free pretty much all afternoon and evening. There were so many diverse people there. I can remember when, you know, once we finally all got to know each other, the great thing about Goldsmiths was, um, you know, I was I was quite long in the tooth. I was 27 when I decided to go and and train as a as an actor. Um, I don't know. How old were you? I think I was the same age, actually. How old are you now? A hundred. Oh, shouldn't, shouldn't I ask that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, well, uh, I was born at the tail end of the 60s. So I no. guess, yeah, I might have been a bit older than you, actually. You're a bit older than me, yeah. yeah. Thanks for outing me, though, so unkindly. In <laughs> <laughs> public, it's fine. It's fine, it's fine. I'll still speak to you. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, th- I think I, might, I must have been pushing 30. Yeah, well, I think that would probably surprise a lot of people as well, because I think that's one of the things... Uh, that I'm sort of keen to to advocate on these podcasts is that, you know, it's never too late to do anything. And, you know, 27 is quite old to suddenly go, ah, I'm going to go part-time and become an actor. <laughs> <laughs> but, and there were people there older than us on the course, as well as obviously people much younger. But in a way yeah. that was a really interesting, that's what makes it more interesting than doing it at the time when everybody's learning, isn't it, I think. So did you leave, you, you left Goldsmiths and went off and, and did what? Sweet FA, really. Just kind of... <laughs> Yeah, just carried on driving my van. No, I, I kind of did a bit of fringe theatre work and uh, the odd bit of film work. And then actually, oh, actually, uh, that was when Richard, who obviously we know, who was on the course with us, me and him got together and we made a short film. And that was the start of um, Chow Handy. That's your production company. Um, That's right. But that was Syrup, did you say? That was... Um... Yeah, that was Syrup. That was, um, we shot on 16 mils, so we shot that on film which at wow. the time, uh, the budget for that was £1,000. And that was purely on the film stock and the processing. I mean, you wouldn't imagine spending £1,000 today on a five-minute short. Or, or actually, no, some people do. Some people spend like <laughs> 20 grand on a five-minute short. God knows why. No, well, it's not necessary. That's, that's what we're yeah. saying, isn't it? You know, but that was expensive because it was on actual film rather than anything. Yeah, easier. rather than digital. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that was the birth of um, Chow Handy. From, yes. from Goldsmiths, essentially. That's amazing, isn't it? And did, um, did Syrup win any awards or did it get up for some awards? Or uh, Yeah, actually, it screened at the ICA in London, which is uh, incredible. I think it's the, the best screening that, that we've ever had of any of our films because um, uh, it's such a prestigious place. You know, it's on the mall there and it's, uh, 
just a fantastic cinema but it didn't win anything but i think if i remember rightly i remember the presenter saying that we were an audience favorite but that oh. might have been because there was a lot of us there when we were very loud <laughs> Because you were the audience. Yeah, we were the audience. <laughs> we bought up all the tickets. <laughs> but uh, but since starting uh, Chow Handy, you've made a number of films, including one called The Numbers. What's been what's been your favourite to work on, and what's been sort of perceived to be the the most uh, successful? Well, actually, the most successful was um, Life's a Bench, and that was the one I just shot it on a GoPro um, one morning. I just went out for a walk around Little Hampton and just kind of um, filmed myself, just set it up on a tripod, press record, jumped in front of it. And then I edited it on a, a work laptop. That one, it, it won um, $250 in America. I'd instantly made money from it. Then it was shown on local TV in Brighton. It was screened at a uh, film festival in Wimbledon. So that, yeah, I'm saying that for what it was, it's, it's only one minute, 30 seconds long. That was my most successful film. But also that's so encouraging, isn't it? Because to anyone starting out, you know, when you're, when you're starting out, it's, it's hard to have, you don't feel like you've got the right equipment or enough people, but that was literally you, a GoPro and uh, an old laptop and, and it managed to be something that is, um, you know, incredibly popular. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we can all give ourselves excuses as to why we don't do things. And, you know, I could have said, oh, I'm going to wait for the, get a, save up and get a decent camera and I'm going to get a microphone and I'm going to do it all properly. But I just thought, oh, I'll just do it and just see what happens. And uh, there's no excuse now. You've got phones which have got incredible cameras on them and you can edit on a phone. So if you've got an idea in your head, it's the story that counts. And I think people connect with the stories. They're not really that fussed about the technology. Yeah, I agree. I think people can forgive you the odd uh, editing blip or sound, you know, wobble if the content is amazing yeah absolutely then what was the first sort of feature length because they were two shorts what was the first feature length one that you you, you actually did was that the numbers well, uh, yeah the numbers i mean it's it's barely feature length it, i think the the oscars or whoever one of these american bodies says a, a feature length film is over 45 minutes long and it's the numbers is at 48 minutes so we just kind of scraped over that but some film festivals still wouldn't accept it less than 60 minutes. So by all intents and purposes, it is a, um, a feature length film, but it started off as a short and I just kind of got carried away and kept putting more things in it. And eventually it became over 45 minutes. So I guess yeah. it, it fell into that feature bracket. Yeah. And it's a, that's available on, um, is it Netflix or Amazon? I could forget which one. On Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, so, so yeah. It's, it's free if you've got Prime, you just watch it. I mean, Amazon's been a bit of a game changer like that. And to be honest, I don't really support companies like Amazon because I know about the nefarious uh, tax mm. businesses, but it didn't cost me a penny to upload the film on there. And um, I mean, they take a big chunk of, of profits. If it makes <laughs> you you profits, do sell your soul to them. <laughs> you know, yeah. But it, it's there for people to see. And I couldn't afford to, to get a DVD made or anything like no. that. So I just thought, oh, it's free to put up. I've got a bit of time. I can work out the specs. And I, I just put it up on Amazon and it's just there. If anyone wants to watch it, they can um, just, you know, scroll through and eventually it'll probably show up. Yeah. And I think the nice thing with them, and, you know, I'm with you totally on the, the not paying uh, tax properly and obviously not, not notoriously not being great to their employees. But when you are small and starting out, you've got no other way of, distributing your stuff otherwise have you it's very very hard to um, get small independent films uh, out there 
Well, it, yeah, it is now. I think it's. Uh, I think it was easier um, back in the eighties and nineties. I think it was. Um, someone wrote a review of the numbers actually, and he said films like the numbers deserve a proper cinematic release rather than wallowing in digital download. And I thought that was a really nice quote to put on it because I guess if we brought the numbers out in, in the eighties or nineties, it may have had a short cinema release, you know. Yeah. Um, so we are kind of yeah. I think there's so many more people now making films and it's so much more accessible and uh, you can cut out the middleman and go straight onto places like Amazon, just upload it. Yeah. But are you selling your soul? You know, I, I do feel like a bit of a hypocrite really that I should have um, released it on a DVD myself, but uh, didn't, I, didn't have, I didn't have the money. So the bottom line was I was, you know, it was either that or it would just sit in obscurity forever. Yeah, you're sort of a, you're a, a living room legend. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Which is good for no one. So no, it's definitely the obvious choice. And um, and Netflix as well obviously does the same sort of thing, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think I think it was kind of nice for the actors. That was my, my driving thing. That, you know, the actors in the numbers, yourself included, Joe. Yes, really I, good... I happen to pop <laughs> up in that one, don't yeah, I? Yeah, <laughs> you are in that. Um, but all, all the reviews... Uh, no matter what they thought of the film as a whole, all say the acting was superb. So the actors really brought a lot of value to the numbers. And I kind of think it's nice for them to have uh, somewhere where someone says, oh, what have you been in? Because it's that, that classic opening line, isn't it? Yes. When you meet an actor, yeah. um, <laughs> what would I have seen you in? You could say, well, I, I'm in a film that's on Amazon, you know, and you could direct them to it. Yeah. So, it's just there, you know. You did do a really nice thing as well, I thought, um, which was in your, actually, it's not your hometown, is it? But in Worthing, you did a, a really lovely uh, preview screening of it, didn't you? Which was great. Yeah, again, I didn't, I, you know, I don't really subscribe to this thing of being part of the industry. I think you can create your own industry. So if we wanted to have a big screen um, screening of the numbers in a lovely cinema, I thought, well, why not? Let's just do it. And it's, it's just nice for everyone to see themselves, particularly actors, on the big screen. Um, mm. And it's nice to have the opportunity to have a photo taken on a red carpet and to be with enthusiastic people as well that, that, that enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, no, it was. It was a really fantastic night. And what's also nice as well when you do that is uh, you did a Q&A session, which is really interesting. Yeah, well, again, I think it's nice for the actors to say uh, how they were involved in it. And I think pretty much everyone that was in the numbers, apart from Jess, who played the waitress, I'd worked with before. So uh, I kind of had a relationship with everyone, which, which really helps in, in filmmaking, I think. I think so. It really does, because there's a sort of shorthand that's, um, that you just can't do if, you, if you're not familiar with people. Um, you just kind of, everyone just kind of gets it, don't they? Exactly. I was talking about with another filmmaker about this the other day, actually, and we, we use that exact words, shorthand, so you don't have to, you know, sit down and explain everything to someone. You can, you can really crack on and, you know, time is money when you're working on an indie film, so... Exactly right. And talking about that, you're, you're working on your next one, are you not? Yeah, yeah, we just started. We just we started filming last week. And what's it called? Tales from the Great War. And are you in this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm in it. Uh, I'm in one of the stories. That, I mean, what we shot last week was a, uh, it's a short story that's within another story. Um, and it's, it's quite complex in that, that all the stories are intertwined. 
but again, it, this wasn't out of vanity reasons that I cast myself. It's just that uh, I'm cheap, so I, 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 don't have, I don't have to pay myself. I can just do it. Well, and it again, matters, I, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't have to explain to an actor, and I don't have to talk about motivation or anything. I can just go and do it myself. Obviously, I can't play all the characters, but I thought because of the whole lockdown situation, this is quite an easy one that I could do. And uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with the results, actually. It came out really well. Fabulous. So where are you shooting it or is it in multiple locations? Uh, multiple locations because, again, you don't like to make things easy. And, of course um, not, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, too, be, be too simple. And this one, actually, I thought it'd be really simple just to film in a woods. Uh, but actually, it was, it was a complete headache. Uh, I approached various bodies that owned woods, government bodies, etc. Mm. Um, filled in all their criteria, lots of risk assessments, liability insurance, everything only to be told that it was going to cost a fortune. And then um, a wonderful local museum, the Ambly Working Museum, I contacted them and they were like, yeah, come along. And they were just so good and they were just so uh, accommodating and there was oh. no red tape or anything. That so is. we spent a good few hours there um, filming in, in their little section of woods that they've got, which was brilliant. Oh, amazing. I mean, the numbers is actually sort of three intertwining stories. So is this a theme now in your work? Yeah, I kind of like that. I like the, the idea of, I've always liked anthology films anyway and anthology books. And um, yeah, I, I, I just like the nature of um, having separate stories, sort of seeing things from people's different points of view, but there are some, some kind of connections. When will it be finished and released, do you think, this one? Well, the aim, the aim mm. is to have it um, all in the can at the end of next summer. I mean, obviously the, the lockdown has kind of put the brakes on a little bit so what we're doing is this first story we're going to release a little teaser for it later this year and it's the story itself is going to screen at the Horror Sea Film Festival in January oh, and, then, and then we're going to um, shoot the rest after that we, we've got a lot of um, scenes that are set in the trenches in World War One so that's a bit of a logistical headache but I think okay. it's all doable yeah, because I think I saw on Facebook some of the, the um, shots, uh, stills from whatever you were shooting the other day. And I was like, oh, well, that looks interesting. So have you got um, two things that you mentioned the horror on sea. So, so what is that and where is that? Just in case anybody would like to take part or uh, attend. Yeah, that was, um, I mean, with the numbers, I basically written it off. After, after we made it, I was, I was quite ill and... Um, so I didn't really get a chance to distribute it the way I wanted to. It was on Amazon, but that was about it. And I kind of written off sending it to film festivals um, because they all charge quite a hefty fee, or most of them charge a hefty mm. fee for a feature-length film. And then chances are it's not going to get selected anyway. So it almost feels yeah. like you're throwing money away. But a friend of mine, another actor called James Devereux, recommended this. He sent me the link. He said, try this film festival. It's in South End. It's like Indie Horror Film Festival. And they don't charge an entrance fee, a submission fee. So I submitted it to them and they said, yeah, uh, it's been accepted. We're screening it. It's, it's, it's a film festival that's held in this hotel right overlooking South End Pier. So it's fantastic. And uh, we went along to the festival and we were screening at 10 a.m. in the morning. And I really didn't think anyone would um, show up to watch it at that time in the morning. But the place was packed and they were a really friendly, supportive audience. And loads of people came up to me and wanted to talk about the film afterwards. They don't do awards either, so there's no competition. It's just a, a friendly, 
kind of vibe there and everyone's there for the same reason to watch low budget horror movies yeah fantastic so, yeah re- really good festival uh, it's happening the first two weekends of january i believe 2021 you mentioned just briefly there um you know just after you filmed the numbers that you you became ill um i don't know if you're sort of happy to talk about the that sort of part of your life and how how that happened and what happened there yeah, so I mean, just after the screening of the numbers, in fact, I mean, I had it there. There was a, I had a small lump on my neck. It was about the size of a ten p, and um, I thought this is a bit odd. Anyway, I went to the doctors, and they referred me straight away. And it was a, a cancerous tumor, and it grew uh, really aggressively. So they had to get it out straight away. So I was admitted into hospital, and they took it out. And it was eight centimeters by the time they took it out. It kind of um, because it had grown so big it had taken away, they had to remove some of the nerves on my face as well. So the, the left side of my face was completely paralyzed. When I came out of that, I had to have six weeks of uh, radiotherapy, which is like targeted treatment of the, the neck area and uh, six weeks of chemotherapy as well. So that was all pretty full on for a few, few months. And then uh, obviously I've had a few operations since as well where they've done uh, various nerve transplants and uh, skin grafts etc but they've been brilliant how long did you spend in hospital oh, about a month all in all give or take a, you know a few days for one operation a few days for the next operation etc and that's not including yeah. the time spent at the cancer center I mean that probably bump up even more I'm assuming when we were filming the numbers you must did you know then that you had the lump or not no it was literally I just uh, it just appeared out of nowhere um and it must yeah shortly after the premiere yeah in fact the weekend before i went into hospital uh, for the op to have it removed it kind of uh, it ruptured out of my neck it was like a volcano erupting oh my god it was, it's like yeah, that it film was... how to get heading advertising exactly <laughs> yeah i mean i was thinking there's this horror film called the manitou which is an old 70s horror that has um tony curtis in it he has something growing in his neck that oh. basically climbs out oh yeah. my god so i was thinking oh here we go um, i mean we're joking about it now and it's, it's easy to after the event but i mean that must have been absolutely terrifying because you know you're you're relatively young and you've got a family and you know everything was just sort of going uh, dandy you know i've known the premiere of a, a feature-length film and then suddenly you've got this how did you how did you cope or did you just take each day uh, at a time yeah just for the um i just kind of thought well i just got to get on with it. There's not a lot I can do, really. It's just one of those things, isn't it? You know, there's, there's people in far worse conditions than me. You know, there's children that, that suffer from all sorts of horrible things and have been uh, growing up in war-torn countries. So I just kind of thought, well, the doctors, they seem to know what they're doing. Uh, I, I put a bit of trust in them, and they were, they were all brilliant. All of the doctors and nurses were, were fantastic. So just kind of, yeah, just, just took it one step at a time. I mean, actually... Uh, Bizarrely, I, I, I kind of quite enjoyed the time out of life, if, that's it, if that sounds, it probably well, sounds strange, wrong. strange because a lot of people have said that about the lockdown as well, haven't they? I think possibly it's a similar thing. In your case, obviously, you were forced to, to do nothing and to recuperate and to you know, have time. When we had this lockdown, suddenly everyone, not because of any illness or any other reason, just had time. We all just had this time on our hands. Yeah. It is. It's, I, I must admit, I didn't think I'd have so much time again so soon. I'd literally just gone back to work <laughs> and I was phasing myself in. And then um, back in March, it was just like, oh, no, we're, um, yeah, we're closing the schools. What? 
really. In a, in a way, that must be good for you, though, because uh, you, you're now a master at what to do with your time. Well, <laughs> so you yeah, well, ahead everyone else. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, you know, I end up running around fields dressed up as a World War One soldier. I mean, it's I'm not sure it's the most productive use of, of time, but there you go. But I think it is. Uh, and the other thing you mentioned there is that, um, you know, you, you are a teacher. I started off teaching drama and I always feel a bit of a fraud anyway. I, I think I have imposter syndrome when I'm teaching because I was a real nightmare at school. I had no interest in it. And I don't think I actually learned anything at school. I think everything I learned, I learned when I left school. So I kind of feel like I'm a, it's either penance for giving my teachers <laughs> such a hard time or uh, I feel like I, I'm an imposter. But I switched from teaching drama to teaching history. It's a lot easier than teaching <laughs> drama, history. Probably because you you didn't enjoy school. And I know you said you, you didn't learn anything at school until, well, didn't learn anything at school, but learned stuff after school. I reckon you're probably one of the most popular teachers because I bet what you did learn at school was how not to be a boring, awful teacher. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Well, when I was doing teacher training, I remember this guy teaching us... Um, saying you've got to show real interest in the kids you know find out about what they're into look up you know if they're into xbox find out all about the xbox and that i'm completely the opposite i have no interest in their lives um <laughs> i show complete disinterest in anything that they're interested in and they seem to enjoy that it seems to be a mutual <laughs> they seem to get behind everything you're doing because you're probably one of the most interesting teachers I imagine it's not every teacher that's uh, running their own film company well it's funny because they're, they're quite canny these these kids aren't they if you if you put anything online they'll find it no matter what mm. you try to do to disguise it you know some kids found my youtube channel at school and uh when I first started out I started doing the the youtube vlog every week just to kind of um get out and about to recuperate from the illness yeah. And uh, I wasn't really in front of the camera. And one of the kids at school said to me, oh, you know what you should do, sir? You, you should be in front of the camera. You shouldn't just be a voiceover. You should, like, host it. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's feedback. So I, I took his feedback and I, I started putting myself in front of the camera. Yeah. And, uh, and they constantly give me feedback, which is great, because they're brutally honest as well. That's true, isn't it? Yeah, there's no hiding. But also that is a really good idea. And I can remember being... Um, in total admiration for you at the time because I, I obviously knew that you just had a, you know some really awful surgery and as you said you know you, you your face was more paralyzed than it is now you've done you've done obviously wonders with physio and obviously other operations you've had since then but to go on screen when you're not at your best I mean most people would be horrified at that wouldn't they but I think it was such a brave thing to do and um what's the vlog and, you, and your web address for people to check out your vlogs and all your work as well while we're here uh that's just on youtube on uh, under the chow handy channel so you just type in chow handy there's only there's only one of us that has such a ridiculous name <laughs> so and it's it, chow as in the italian C I A. yeah as in uh, yeah and handy as in my name but with an h in front of it <laughs> Um, and actually that comes from do you remember Paolo did you ever meet Paolo yes uh, Richie's yeah. mate that comes from him because whenever he saw me he'd go ciao handy <laughs> and say hello so when Richard and I were starting off with syrup we thought oh yeah that'd be a great name for a, for a company it is though it really is I love it I absolutely love it and it's got a little like high five hasn't it in the logo exactly exactly yeah, so is perfect but so the 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 vlogs I suppose they were twofold they were a thing to, to keep get you out and, and busy but probably did that did you find that helped with your confidence because I mean 
you must have had your confidence knocked after the operation and, and, and during your sort of rehabilitation. Yeah, well, I remember um, Tina came in uh, uh, straight after the op and she uh, just started crying. And I was, oh, my God, because I hadn't seen myself and I thought oh, I must be pretty bad. So I didn't look at myself in the mirror for about three days after the, the op. But I basically had a load of staples down the side of my face and that, where they'd removed it. And because the face was paralysed, it was all hanging down at one side as well. With my typical indie film brain thought, oh, how can I utilise this face? There must be some way that I could do it. And that's, that's what I've done with this latest film, actually. The guy gets shot in the neck. I thought, oh, yeah, I can play that part. He's been shot in the neck. That's great. It's genius, yeah. I utilise this. Yeah. yeah. How can you make it work? Yeah, but that must have been that must have been terrifying for for Tina, your wife, and um, and what about your kids? How did they cope? Because obviously, uh, I mean, kids usually take things in their stride, but obviously, it's a, 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 quite a difficult thing to to see your dad go into hospital looking and sounding like your dad, and then coming out not looking or sounding like your dad. Yeah, I mean, they, they were really good actually. They they adapted to it really well, and I think I think it's sometimes harder for the people that are kind of standing by and watching. Because when you're going through it, you've got people taking care of you. They're doing those things. But when you're, you're watching, you, you can really have this feeling of helplessness. So I do feel for, for, for partners that have to kind of go through this as well, because it's not just, you know, with me, it's fine. I have the treatment done. I know there's going to be a result or there might not be a result, but either way, something's getting done. Um, but for them, I guess there's a feeling of helplessness. But the kids, yeah. they took it really well. They're really, they, yeah, they, they're very matter-of-fact about it all. Sure. And, and also the school kids, because obviously you must have been teaching some that you that you then carried on teaching. On the whole, they're great. You know, the, the little year sevens will say, will just come up to me and go, what happened to your face? Or, you know, and I kind of like that honesty. I like that. Yeah. And then I can just say to them, well, yeah, I had a, I had a tumour and it was cancer. And they say, oh, cancer. And I said, yeah, but it's, I've survived it. It's, you know, it's fine because... I think, you know, in their, in their minds, they think cancer is fatal and it is fatal for a lot of people, unfortunately, but mm. there are a lot of people that survive it as well. Yeah. And have you had um, an all clear for X amount of time now? Or are you waiting for one of those or do you have to go back or? Yeah, I go in every two months and they stick a camera up my nose and kind of have a little poke around and stuff. Um, but I've had an all clear. I had one of those um, PET CT scans where they pump this kind of fluorescent stuff around you and they can detect if your body's got any uh so yeah i've got the all clear in in that respect so uh that's, that's good great news positive yeah. yeah yeah very positive so now it's just um what more physio still keeping up with the physio because your your speech has come on in leaps and bounds already hasn't it i mean it's amazing yeah just kind of um it, it really has before my, my voice was almost unrecognizable in, mm. in fact actually the vlogs when I started the vlogs, uh, I've got this really deep, ra raspy voice. And now, it, now it's gone back to my kind of uh, effete, estuary-esque accent. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but I, I think that's great. That's what I love about those vlogs. And I, like I said to you, I remember at the time, because, you know, anyone going through anything or, or anyone not, you know, just logging on to, to look at your, because um, your vlogs were basically reviews of other people's films, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, I kind of wanted to get out there and support um, indie filmmakers yeah. and uh, because, you know, it's very hard to get an audience, as, mm -hmm. as I well know, from, from making the numbers um, for a, a low budget indie film. So I thought, oh, well, I can make this twofold. I can use it as rehabilitation to get me out of the house. Um, 
and uh, I'll see I'll see if I can find some really obscure films to to dig out and review. Mm. And um, you did, yeah, and I did. And actually, one of them was great. I went I just this random film called Clown Doll, which I, I saw it was a premiere. That sounds it, terrifying. It, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Clown Doll. I know it oh. is. Um, and it was the the premiere was just off Cold Harbour Lane, you know, near Brixton, and it was down this dead end street and there was burnt out cars and tires everything I thought what is this and anyway I went into this place and it was great and then um a few months later I was I was on one of their film sets they um they asked me if I wanted to come on the film set and just kind of mooch around for a bit so yeah it was great so I made some really nice contacts through that I think that's the most inspiring thing of all really is that you know you you were doing these indie films and then obviously life took a bit of a, a left turn and then um, you'd gone back into doing what you love initially supporting other people doing what you love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just I, I appreciate the work that's gone into it and I appreciate that, you know, and, and a lot of these indie films get slated on things like the Internet Movie Database, you know, mm. um, people will give them one star and say, worst film ever, don't watch. And I think, well, actually, that was, you know, weeks and weeks of someone's hard work yeah. putting together a film. And, yeah, it may not be your cup of tea, but there's no need to absolutely slate it. No, um, it doesn't mean it's dreadful. It's just not what, not what you like. And also yeah. the other thing I think that, that people forget, and I think it's the same with stand-up comedy as well, you know, we put all our, our money, is, they're all self-funded usually. Yeah. And it's not just the, like you said, the time and the effort. It's you know, most people hold down other jobs in order to do these things. Uh, or if they have got support, it's very minimal. Um, so to just uh, off, the, off the bat, just give, it, give something one star without any thought into that is, is quite harsh, really, isn't it? Yeah, I just don't think you can compare it against, you know, something that Marvel's put out. So it's not really a level playing field, is it, with Marvel and comparison no. to it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't. I just don't know what people are expecting. If they know they're going into to watch a low budget film, you know it's not going to have millions of, of dollars thrown at it. So, I think actually often with the with the larger budget films, the um, per, for me personally, it's the um, the scripts. Their scripts are usually not very good in any of those. It, it just all relies on you being sort of completely, literally blown away by the special effects. Um, and I think when you haven't got and I think that's why a lot of indie films are brilliant and where they are better is that, you know, mostly all indie films have got is the script. So they tend to be better. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I kind of think as well that we're seeing a bit of a tide turn at the moment because, you know, we keep hearing about how that the film industry has really suffered due to the, uh, the, the lockdown, etc. But um, indie films are still going on. They're still being made. I mean, I was involved in three last week, my own. On Tuesday, I was in Cheltenham for uh, this fantastic uh, filmmaker called Tom Lee Rutter, who's, who's from Kidderminster, uh, on his set. And then on Friday, I was in, in Godalming in Surrey on the set of another indie horror film, uh, which was a night shoot. So it's thriving because they've always had to survive on little to no money anyway. So they're not, they're not dependent on these massive budgets and, you know, having cars pick people up and all that kind of paraphernalia that comes with it. They're just, um, they're, you know, they're just cracking on. Hopefully it's inspired some listeners, some budding movie makers. So, uh, you know, basically you don't 
have to have anything more than your phone if you've got an idea. That's all you need. So let's just double check where we can uh, find your blog. That's on the Chow Handy website. It's on, you go to YouTube, type in Chow Handy or Twitter, Chow Handy. There's links or Instagram, Chow Handy. Cool. So that's where we can find you and check out all those bits and pieces. So good luck with the Great War. Cheers, Joe. When's it going to be released in the middle of next year, do you think? Or towards the end? Probably towards the end of next year. Cool, 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 cool. So we've got something to look forward to for 2021. Hurrah. Yeah. Well, Yay. thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Real Folk with me, Joe Burke.